Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Learn to Love podcast, your guide to everything love, sex, intimacy, and relationships. Each week, your host, Zach Beach, interviews new experts on love, including couples therapists, relationship coaches, sex educators, and best-selling authors. Learn the best tips and cutting-edge wisdom to better love yourself, others, and the world. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Learn to Love podcast, everyone. I am your host, Zach Beach, and I'm here with the incredible power couple, Dr. Ray and Jean Cadcodian. Hi, Ray. Hi, Jean, and welcome to the show. Hi, Zach. How are you doing? Thanks for having us on the show. And uh, Jean? Hi, how's it going? (laughs) It's good. (laughs) So this is actually our first time I've had two guests on the show. So I just really want to make sure I give both of you time to share whatever wisdom you have to share with us today. And I'm really excited for our conversation today. And we're going to be talking about intimacy and emotional wounds. And for our listeners who don't know, power couple Dr. Ray and Jean Codcodian have been married since Valentine's Day in 1998. And in 2002, they co-founded the Lighthouse Emotional Wellness Center, a successful counseling center in the Chicago area. Dr. Ray and Jean both have master's degrees in clinical psychology, and Dr. Ray has an additional doctorate in clinical psychology. They are also co-hosts of their own podcast called Couples Synergy, Real Couples, Real Stories. And after working with thousands of couples, they created and perfected a unique approach to coach couples to have amazing relationships called Couples Synergy. How are we doing today? We are doing awesome. Awesome. And I wanted to start out by asking you about your awesome marriage, awesome relationship, because I'm always curious about like the clinicians who are also a couple. And you've been helping couples for more than two decades. You've been married for a long time. And, you know, like when you get into arguments, are you like, well, you know, if you didn't have maladaptive behavioral responses to your childhood neglect, then we would be happier right now. Or do you have to like set your sources about who's right and who's wrong? Like how how is it working for you guys? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just like that. <laughs> <laughs> You know, that's interesting because there's no such thing as right and wrong. There is Mm. only one perspective and another perspective. And the funny thing is, working with couples, and, you know, I work with the wives and Ray works with the husbands, Mm. we even fight about our couples' fights. (laughs) 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 Because that's the way it is. Somewhere in the middle is healthy, right? And so Mm. we always attract a partner who had a different upbringing And so that's what they learned was right, but you learned something else was right. And so the point of being in a relationship is to find that center. Mm. So, yeah, no right or wrong, but plenty of Mm. arguing. (laughs) Yeah, especially when we're dealing with emotions. You know, there isn't a right and wrong. What we feel is what we feel. It's not debatable. Mm -hmm. And so in a relationship, when a couple is fighting, they're coming from a place of emotional pain. And their perspective is correct. It, it just, mm-hmm. it's something that they're feeling. And, and, you know, finding that middle ground of where both people are actually hearing each other, that's, that's the challenge. I really love that distinction. And it really is important for all couples to recognize there isn't one objective reality that you're trying to agree on, but there's two subjective realities 
that you're seeking to understand the other. And I love that quote that you said that somewhere in the middle is healthy. And I think that's really beautiful. And I also think it's interesting that you said that you fight. And fight's a relatively extreme word and almost brings up images of violence. But what are like the good, appropriate ways that couples fight? That's actually a sign that they're working together. And what are the more negative, toxic ways that people fight? That's a, that's a really interesting question because there was a study that was done with uh, over 2,000 couples. And they were mm-hmm. trying to determine if there was a difference in the way they fight healthy couples and unhealthy couples. And they found that there was no difference between healthy couples and unhealthy couples. Mm. So we fight with our hindbrain. Our hindbrain is our reptilian brain. And that part of our brain is only reactive and it's only concerns our food and safety. And so when we're in that place, we're sort of like a lizard that just jumps at stuff. It's just in shock. And so everyone fights not nicely and you can't help it. You know, so, you know, I know there's therapists out there that are like, use I statements and do this. But (laughs) when you're in that place, it comes out raw and it comes out ugly What they found is the difference in those studies is the way that people recover after the fight. And that's Mm. the more important piece is even healthy couples will say during a fight, like, I'm tired of doing this. I want things to be different. Something like that. That is like more forward thinking. Mm -hmm. But we all fight from that place of fear and reactivity. It is an important distinction. We all have this stress response, this flight, fright, freeze response. And when we're in that stress response, we literally like can't communicate because those higher cortical functionings of like empathy and understanding just aren't working. So you mentioned it's about recovering after the fight. And let's talk more about that because the thing that comes up in a lot of relationships, and I know you're familiar with this dynamic, is where one partner really wants to approach the problem. And sometimes they approach it with judgment and criticism, like, listen, we need to work on this right now. If you don't fix this, like we're breaking up. Then the other one gets flooded. They get like just emotionally overwhelmed and they're unable to meet the conflict. And the person who wants to deal with it thinks that that they're in the right because they're the one that actually wants to approach the problem. But the other one simply isn't unable to talk about it in that moment and both end up feeling hurt. So when we talk about recovering after the fight, how do we cultivate connection, return to connection when both partners are feeling hurt and feeling like there's just a gap between them? You know, if you took a pill, some type of medication, it would take 20 minutes for that to be in every cell in your body. So -hmm. the same thing is true when you're having that stress response, anger, whatever that is. It's going to take at least 20 minutes for it to get out of your system. And so you're absolutely right. And we do this really cool exercise with couples to show them how communication breaks down. You know, we have them tell a story. They're able to tell their story back and forth. Then we have them talk about how much they love each other and and what they Mm. find attractive and and that they're um, proud of about their partner and they can't remember it back, right? And they're like, you know, it's in a different order. I I forgot things. We're like, yeah, that's your emotional brain being activated. Mm. And so there needs to be this cool off period before that, you know, prefrontal cortex gets engaged again and you can Mm. find your words again and you can communicate again. And so we always talk about fighting like a four-year-old, you know, and if there was a four-year-old that was 
woke up in the middle of the night and they were afraid of monsters under the bed, you wouldn't just mm-hmm. be like, shut up, go back to sleep. You know, you would... Hopefully not. <laughs> right? <laughs> you, you would go and hold them and you would calm them down and and then you would problem solve by believing them. You would say, oh, monsters, mm. let's get our monster spray and go under the bed and check and go in the closet. And we're all hurting from a place that happened long before we met our partners. Mm. And so that part of us has no relationship to time. That part of us, that, that limbic system of our brain, is designed to never forget. And that's why when you touch a stove for the first time, you get burned. But if 30 years goes by, you're still going to pull your hand away. That part of us never forgets. And the beauty of that, that it has no relationship to time, is that as partners, you can go back and apply that emotional first aid to wounds that happened when you were 5 or 15 or 30, whatever stage of your life that happened, and start a healing response. You know, we, we use the example of an iceberg, and 85% of the iceberg is under the water, 15% above the water. Mm-hmm. And when couples are fighting, they're fighting at that 85% and that depth of the relationship, the things, the wounds that they've carried with themselves into the relationship. And so, it, you know, it's, it's very emotional, and you're activating the emotional brain, as Gene said. And, you know, we're not, we're not coming from a place of logic at all. So it's, it's very complex in the way that couples need to make these repair attempts because it's not just about saying, sorry, you know, I said this or sorry, I did this. It's really about understanding why I did mm. this or why I said this and where, it, where was it coming from, right? And how did it activate your partner? Yeah, I really love all that insight. I love that you mentioned how those like trauma has no relationship in time is that even like right now I can have the same wounding come up from a long time ago. And I love the iceberg metaphor and particularly how important it is for like almost any couple to recognize that the issue that they're talking and arguing about has some deep underlying causes, deep emotional causes. And often like, it's not about how clean the apartment is. It's not about how you forgot the birthday. It's about how underneath of that, there's emotional things going on that needs to be addressed. And I want to tie that idea into this idea that I saw you talk about, which is you mentioned on your podcast how couples on average wait six years after a problem arises to seek counseling. And when you talk about investigating the why, I'm curious about how can we kind of discern and delineate whether a problem that we're encountering is a totally normal issue that's, that comes up and we can easily address and solve versus actually this is an underlying problem that we should address potentially with professionals so it doesn't just get worse over the years and we end up going to the couple's therapist six years later than when we were actually supposed to. You know, Zach, that, that uh, statistic comes from you know, marriage counseling study and kind of showing that couples do wait an average of six years before they seek outside help. It kind of coincides with the development of a relationship. So it's not necessarily that, you know, couples are sitting there white knuckling it for six years and then finally you have the breaking edge there. They need to go find someone, although a lot of times that does happen. But, you know, when a couple first comes together, everything is wonderful. 
and there really is little investment in the relationship, and so there's little risk. And so couples can talk about differing opinions, and they can talk about things that mm. you know might be controversial, and they're still accepting each other, right? Mm -hmm. But as the relationship develops, they start to invest more in each other, and with that mm -hmm. investment comes more risk. And so they start to guard their words and they start tiptoeing around different subject matter because, you know, they don't want to hurt their partner or they don't want to start an argument. And so that with that distance comes resentment. Okay. Mm -hmm. And over time, this resentment and distance starts to cause it starts to erode the relationship. And so when you get to that six year mark, six, I think people say seven years, right? Seven year itch. You know, when you, <laughs> right. when you get to that point, you know, couples are so distant from each other because they're not making those repair attempts. They're not, they don't, mm. they don't have the skills and tools on how to close that gap and, and process that resentment that that's been building over time. Mm -hmm. You know, when we are children, we, our brain works by, if I'm not getting the result I want, I should do something different. And so I think the six years is also a big time that each person is trying on their own. How can I do something different to get a different result? Mm -hmm. And they've exhausted all of those things. And they, by the time they come in for help, they are very much pointing the finger going, you know what? If you would change, I would feel better. And mm -hmm. I think it takes a long time before we go, wait a second, this problem is not inside of me. It's outside of me. And when we're talking about relationship, it's somewhere in the middle. And so both people are doing what they know, but they don't know what else to do. Mm -hmm. That I know that sounds simplistic and maybe a little silly that we only know what we know, but it's really true. And there's not a lot of education around how do you navigate to find the what we call the couple personality, the the, the entity that we are trying to create both people. And so that's really the work that starts to be done. And it's really higher level work. People ask us all the time, like, why don't they teach this in high school? And you really can't. You really have to be in a relationship for several years before you can begin to understand and work on the type of tools that we teach people. Yeah, I'm thinking about that joke that a lot of divorces happen at Ikea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And because playing off of both of what you said is that, first of all, at the beginning of the relationship, there's not nearly as much pressure. Like you can be light, you're making decisions that don't affect your your future. And then when you are making that decision about what couch to buy, like this is a big investment because it represents the life that you're building together. And then, of course, you just have different preferences. One of you wants the blue one, one of you wants the black one, one, one of you wants the, the stuff that looks like that, one of you wants the stuff that looks more modern. And as you just mentioned, we have this attitude like, well, if you would change, like if you would want the same things I want, things would be so much better. And that's when like the real work of love begins to me, because we've talked before in the podcast about how that feeling of falling in love, the new relationship energy at the beginning of the relationship, it's all very easy. But then when that fades away, that's when your wounding comes up. That's when your triggers and challenges come up. And that's when the real work of love begins. So 
let's talk about how we can best navigate those conflicts and differences when they do come up and you are trying your best to build a life together because there are two worlds here that are trying their best to integrate but of course they're colliding and we have different ideas on what our house is supposed to look and be like what our relationship is supposed to look and be like so how can we best merge two worlds in relationship with the least conflict and the most connection we get into relationships with someone who knows our relationship dance not Mm. consciously right and the important thing is to learn to not take things personally and there Mm. are certainly many things i've said to ray or he said to me that when we're in that place of pain if you don't take that personally then you're not just bickering about the stuff on the surface which is what a lot of people do and they think if i could fix you know, if if we're going to use a pair of shoes in the wrong place in the house, right? Something silly like that, which is usually what people are <laughs> fighting about. It it really isn't about the shoes. I mean, you could make all the rules you want about putting the shoes in the right place, and you can do that. It just doesn't change anything. It doesn't heal anything because the real problem is much older and much deeper. And so to slow things down and to be much more conscious and considerate and kind to your partner and to really explore. And in the beginning of a relationship, a lot of people think, what can I get? Who's going to meet my needs? What do I want out of another person? But really it's about what can I give? What do I have to Mm -hmm. offer? And when you get to that place, then you really are full. Then you get full of you know, even if, if I'm cooking breakfast and we're having the exact same food, I will feel like one plate is better. It's maybe it's got a little bit more food or I like the plate better or something. And I will always give that to him because Mm -hmm. I would feel bad if I took the better one And, and he's not involved in this decision at all. Right. It's just in my own head. But in my own head, I won't enjoy being selfish in that way. And I think that's the the bigger thing that you learn over a really long period of time is what do I have to offer and what can I give? And in the process of doing that, you get more back than if you're in the place of what can I take and what should someone else be giving to me? The goal of every relationship is not to be happy. The goal of every relationship. What? Yeah, it isn't. <laughs> it is not. <laughs> Everyone's gets shocked out there right now, but really it isn't. The, the goal is to learn and to grow. Mm. And, you know, our closest witness to our growth is our partner. You mm-hmm. know, if, if you went out on the golf course and every time, you know, you hit the ball, it went into, in the hole, right? You got a hole in one every single time. Well, you'd stop playing after a while because it's just, it would be boring, mm-hmm. right? And so it's the it's the challenge, and you know, accomplishing something, pushing through that challenge that actually makes it fun and enjoyable. And the same thing with a relationship; it's the challenge of growing together and learning about another person and being able to be compassionate towards that person and receiving that back. That actually is 
you know, makes it worth it. Absolutely. I really resonate with so many of the things you both just said, that people in relationships should focus more on what they can give rather than what they can get. And I love how you mentioned that the relationship is a dance. And yes, there's times of like moving away and moving towards, but it can be a really beautiful and harmonious experience. Also, just moving in harmony together and having that growth-oriented mindset and being willing to learn and grow is also so important. But there's one thing I'm going to challenge you a little bit on, because at the very beginning, you mentioned, I think it was Gene, you said, don't take anything personally. And I was thinking, okay, well, I'm in a relationship with this person who knows me better than any person on the planet. And they may even like give me criticism that's very individualized, you know, like just something, something extreme. I'm like, well, if your mother actually loved you, you would feel better right now or something like that. Like they know us better than anyone else. And they're our life partner. And like one of the most challenging things about love is it's like you're almost like putting your heart in this person's hand, like there's vulnerability involved. So when we do f- experience judgment, criticism, or just a comment, you know, in our, about us and our direction from our partner, how can we not take that thing personally? You know, it's not that it doesn't personally hurt. Hmm. Of course, it personally hurts. But the person that's projecting that out there, it's something inside of them that they're projecting. The part of us that hurts is our work. Hmm. So they're two separate things. You know, and this comes from a concept in a book called The Four Agreements, which is the very first homework assignment we give to every couple we work with. And that's one of the agreements is not to take things personally. And he says, you know, if someone has a gun and they point it at your head and they pull the trigger, you're going to die. But you're not going to die because it was personal. It's because they had something inside of them that wanted to go and do that. And it's and it's true in the opposite direction as well, in the positive. So I'm sure you've met people like this where they first meet you and they're so complimentary and they're so... But that's who they are as a person. Mm-hmm. And it's not really because so, suddenly you're so wonderful in either way, right? And so it's mm-hmm. like holding that space of knowing yourself instead of the opinion or or objectification of the other person. And it Mm -hmm. really is difficult because you're absolutely right. It does personally hurt. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, like, like Zach, what if I called you a green giraffe? Would you be offended by that? (laughs) I don't know. I don't think so. Sounds kind of cool, actually. Right. And so, so you don't take that personally, but why would you take it personally if I called you something else? And the only reason you would Mm. is because it resonates with you. But I'm still just the one making up words. And you know who's fabulous at this? Teenagers. Teenagers are so good. Even if they don't know you, they will throw an insult at you that sticks like you Mm -hmm. couldn't believe. So it's a really interesting concept. And it's a really difficult thing to do to not take things personally. But it really is true that whatever is being directed at us is coming from inside the other person. Mm -hmm. It may or may not resonate with us like the green giraffe example But that part that resonates with us is what we need to fix or change, not for them to stop saying those things. Yeah, I love that you said that the the part of us that hurts is kind of our work. And 
we can take responsibility for the emotions that we are experiencing and, and learn and grow from them. And I feel like that taps directly into our topic for today, which is on intimacy and on emotional wounds. And I wanted to ask you about this term wounding and how we kind of use the term wounds, because first off, there's kind of a negative connotation around the idea of having wounds. Somebody might be like, just walking down the street, they feel really good about their life. And then their therapist tells them that they're wounding. And they, that doesn't sound good at all. Um, but they can be associated with the feeling that we're broken or that there's something wrong with us. And both of you have clinical backgrounds. And wound to me doesn't feel like a very technical term. I'm surprised it's not like maladaptive, like traumatic response or something. For you, both of you, um, what is a wound and how can we frame it so that it seems like a positive thing? I don't know if you can frame it to make it seem positive, but I think you can frame it to make it seem normal. Hmm. So if you were a baby and you were three weeks old and you woke up in the middle of the night and you were wet and hungry and, and in the dark and crying, but your parents who Let's say you have wonderful parents who are really loving and attentive, but they're exhausted. And so three weeks in, maybe now you're crying for 20 minutes. And mm. in those 20 minutes, you're abandoned, you're alone, you're really screaming because your life depends on your parents coming and taking care of you. So in that moment, you are feeling abandoned. You are feeling alone. You are beginning that wound, that part of us that... We live in a world that none of us are going to survive. Mm -hmm. And so we are never truly safe, right? And that's just part of the human condition. And I think it's there for the growth experience, for the experience. Mm -hmm. You know, during our life, you know, our, our friend moves away or we have to change classrooms. We go through these little losses throughout our life. And to learn to be, you know, Ray and I have been together for 24 years and it's really recently, I think for both of us, that we really feel that sense of safety and security with each other that we've never really felt ever in the world. And it, wow. it's a lot of hard work, and you lean into that instead of, you know, when we have physical pain, we avoid it, right? You shouldn't mm -hmm. drop a hammer on your foot. That's a bad idea. So it's advantageous to avoid physical pain, but emotional pain it's advantageous to lean into it and talk about it and learn to heal it. And it it's horrible. I mean, just try giving someone a cup of coffee when you're angry at them. Just like, here's your coffee, you know? <laughs> and that's that's the work. The work is how do you stay in it and, and get close to someone when you're in pain? It's like having sunburn and hugging each other. Hmm. Yeah, what Jean is talking about, you know, the, the fact that wounds occur in all of us is true. You know, and so back to the example that we're not designed or to be happy in a relationship, we're designed to grow and heal. You mm. know, that's that's the work of every relationship is to heal each other. And so we don't see wounds as something that's negative. We see it as something that's inevitable. Now, mm -hmm. whether a couple learns to heal that within the relationship, that's that's really the the challenge. You know, the other thing that's really interesting is the female brain, the corpus callosum allows both hemispheres of the brain to work simultaneously. And so women are typically 
more um, intuitive of looking at a person and sensing if they're a dangerous person or not. And that's by design because they have to look at their babies and try to figure out what their babies need. And men, mm-hmm. their corpus callosum is like a switch and they can be in one side of the brain or the other. And so much more often when we're working with a couple, one person, and it's usually the guy, and when I say masculine and feminine brains, it's really the way our brains can can be uh, programmed or designed or, or whatever. We can We can change our brains. But mm. one person will always be like, I don't really see a problem. Everything feels fine to me. And it's usually because they've taken that corpus callosum and put a tourniquet on it and don't go to the other side of the brain and, and see what's really going on. And what will happen if we deny that there's any wounds or problems is it goes into our body and we get sick. And we mm. tend to see that a lot. Yeah, it's really important to recognize that our relationships are first off a container for our growth and healing. And then secondly, when you were talking about your relationship is that they are designed to give us just this feeling of safety and security and comfort and like a home in a world that is largely kind of indifferent to our well-being and can sometimes be a scary and fearful place. I should say that it's the potential right that our mm-hmm. relationships have that potential now whether a couple you know creates that or not that's that's really the work because there are definitely relationships out there where it's not a source of comfort for them and mm-hmm. not a source of security you know it it comes with a lot of work so i would love to hear first before we get into healing emotional wounds what are some examples that like you've seen in some couples for example when they start talking to each other and you're like oh clearly there's some underlying wounding going on that we need to treat in order for this over 15 percent you know iceberg symptom to resolve i'll give you an example there was a client you know when he grew up his his father was really just unavailable, emotionally unavailable and physically unavailable. And, you know, he, he went to his mother for uh, comfort and safety all the time. Now, his mother would uh, come home every day at the same time, and he would wait at the door, you know, for her. And up until that point, he would always feel alone. He would always feel like, you know, abandoned because, you know, his father just would not even pay attention to him. And one day his mother was late mm-hmm. and he was standing there by the door waiting for her and he was sobbing and feeling this intense emotion of abandonment, right? Flash forward into his relationship, his wife, he was on the phone with her and, you know, she said, I'll be right home. And so he was expecting her to be home soon and mm-hmm. she didn't. She didn't come home. And then he heard some sirens down the street. And he is taken off in his car, searching for her, sobbing, feeling that same feeling of abandonment. Right. And he wasn't able to connect the two, the two examples or the two situations that he experienced. And until we were able to, you know, point that out for him, that it's the same feeling. Mm-hmm. Right. This is a wound that he had carried with him his entire life. And it was playing out in this in this scenario with his wife. Mm. So we, we have these two centers of power 
We have our thinking and we have our feeling. And what we know is that when a couple comes in, the individual person has a, dis a disconnect between their head and their heart, between their mm -hmm. thought and their feeling. And so that's really where communication breaks down is within a person. You know, the heart is an easy place for us to shut down. When we mm. get afraid, we just close it up and we guard ourselves. And throughout life, we may keep that shut. And that's why we're trying to do things logically with our brain. Because if there's a disconnect between our head and our heart, we will always defer to our head. Because mm -hmm. our head is what we know. And when we speak from the heart, we don't know what's going to happen. And it's much more vulnerable and much more uh, scary. Mm -hmm. And so the it, the person themselves doesn't know that what they're experiencing is they they have maybe they were told in the example that Ray was talking about maybe he was told to shut up and not feel that way and it's no big deal. So he mm -hmm. doesn't know I should trust his feeling. And it's that opening up of the heart again and and to trust your feelings because they are always valid. Mm. And if we talk about them, if we can bring them out, we can deal with them. If we hold them in, they're going to come out sideways and we can't deal with them then. Yeah. You're bringing up just a really beautiful process of getting in touch with our bodies, our emotions and our hearts. Cause so many people are stuck in their thoughts and we live in a very cognitive centric society and you talk, both of you talk about um, different stages of emotional vulnerability. And I was wondering if you could tell our listeners about those stages. You know, the way that we can start talking about this is an example of, uh, you know, of a bullseye. And you think about a bullseye in the center is that, that center circle. Um, that center circle within a relationship is, is a bubble that only your partner and you should be in. Right. This is a place where you share everything with. You are open and you are vulnerable. And this is, you know, there shouldn't be anyone else in this circle, you know, because it is so vulnerable. This is where you're sharing your fears and, you know, really, really deep, dark things. And then as you move out from that, that circle, the next concentric circles, now you're going to be sharing less things with people, right? might be like mm -hmm. family members or, you know, you even go further out and now it's friends and all the way out to the, to the outside. And that would be acquaintances, people that you're meeting off the street. You're not going to be sharing really emotionally vulnerable things with them. So if you think about being way on the outside, that's the surface. Mm -hmm. That is, if you use the analogy of you have on a winter coat, a hat, gloves, you know, you are protected and you talk from a place of like, how are you? I'm fine. What's going on? Same old, same old. There's no real vulnerability to that. And then as you move in, now you've moved into someone's house and you've taken off your coat and your, maybe your shoes and, and now you're in a sweater and jeans. And now we're talking about sharing information or small talk. Mm. What's going on? Well, I, you know, I've been shopping or I do this kind of work. You know, we're just sharing like a little bit about the facts of our life. And then it goes into, and this is where most people get into trouble, our beliefs. And now we're in shorts and a tank top. So now people have given us some information and now we have judgment about it. 
Now we have opinions. And if those opinions are not respectful, then that person is telling you that they're not safe to bring any further into this bullseye circle. Mm-hmm. And then when we get to the next level, this is our vision. And now we're in our bathing suits. And this is our, what, what do we want in our lives, our dreams, our hopes. And it's a little bit more vulnerable because if someone's not respectful of a difference of belief, then they'll squish that vision before it's even come to the surface. And mm-hmm. that's why it's more vulnerable. And then we get into the next level, which is our feelings. And that's when we're in our underwear, you know, and see if you think about Mm -hmm. how many people really get to see you in your underwear, those are the people you can share at that level, because, you know, what you were talking about with taking things personally, when we share those things, people can use that against us. And it Mm -hmm. feels really painful when we've shared something at this level, and then that person doesn't respect that or treat us with kindness. And then in the center of the bullseye, that's that's where the emotional wounds are shared. And that's where we are completely naked, completely vulnerable. And when you think of who gets to see you naked. And I remember working with this one woman and we were talking about resentments and she comes in with her resentment list and she says, you know, my husband doesn't know any of these, but my mother knows all of them. And her mm-hmm. mother was so invasive in her life that she was never able to really attach to her husband. And that's what we see in the beginning stages of many relationships are people have best friends or they have family members and they're bringing those people into the center of this relationship and they're not letting their partner in. And our goal is to kind of clear that out and make that space really sacred and not be sharing all this stuff about our relationship outside of that because it doesn't, it, it, if you think about it like food, you're feeding something else and not your relationship and your relationship is then starving. Mm-hmm. When you think about moving through these stages of emotional vulnerability, you can, you can imagine how, you know, how difficult this could be, right? And how careful you have to be because as you're moving deeper and deeper, you know, the risk uh, of abandonment, the risk of rejection increases and that need for safety is, you know, gets greater. Mm-hmm. more openness is required as you get deeper and deeper in here. And so a lot of people are saying, well, I don't, I just don't want to do that. That's just, mm-hmm. you know, too vulnerable for me. I, and let's just stay at the surface with our relationship, you know, but the payoff here is that the depth of connection and intimacy that you can have with your partner is, is something you would never have experienced before in your life. We say that a connection with a committed partner is the most challenging and most rewarding thing you could ever have and ever do in your entire life and is the deepest physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual connection we could have with another human being. Wow. I love what you just said. I'm going to pull that quote later, but I'm put it right there in the show notes. Connection with a committed partner is the most challenging and most rewarding experience that we have as human beings. And you just brought up intimacy, and I want to get into that um, because I was even thinking, listening to both of you about this quote along the lines of like, how close can you expect to be with your partner when you are far away from yourself? And you mentioned how a lot of people aren't aware of not just their wounding, but their feelings, their emotions, their sense of intuition. And we've talked about wounding, we've talked about vulnerability. 
Now, let's talk about how we can cultivate intimacy. And as you mentioned, it's a little scary, right? Getting close to somebody. Because when you talk about like with your clothes metaphor, like you're getting removing your clothes as you get closer and closer, eventually you're just naked and vulnerable in front of each other. And then that's like when you're the most fragile, the most exposed, you have no more armor. How do we find that courage? And what can we do to cultivate that level of intimacy, like with our partner, for example, who might be scared to share the things that are most intimate? You know, what we do as human beings is we sort of run from that. And one thing that we noticed is that when we're working with a couple for an hour a week, they're coming into a session they are digging stuff up, they're becoming exposed, and then they're leaving the session and they're going back to their life. And they are going back to their kids and back to, you know, the responsibilities and everything. And so they'll say, like, it takes a day or two before we feel like grounded again. And so we've created, you know, the weekend intensive. And the weekend mm-hmm. intensive is you're in it and you're in it for days. And that's where the real healing can happen at a really great level because there's time. And I think time is the biggest thing that couples don't take. They have a few minutes here and there where they're, where they're trying to resolve something and it takes much longer. And, you know, human beings were designed to heal over long periods of time. So we used to mm-hmm. do this thing called convalescing. And go out to the summer home and lay around for nine months because physical healing, it wasn't just taking a pill. There weren't pills yet. And so if you were in a, a an accident of some kind, you broke your leg, you had to lay around and, and let your body naturally heal. And mm-hmm. we want things so quickly now and there's no time to allow that space for that to happen. And what we notice on the weekend is... There are great periods of fun and joy and happiness. And then there are great periods of depth and scraping the wound and getting all the junk out so that people can really be that vulnerable. On our weekends, we have in their, in their private rooms, it's hashtag clothing optional. And we want them <laughs> to have lots of skin to skin contact and have those, that depth of conversation that they're sleeping with their kids. They're not having that at home. Their kids are walking into their bedroom. There's no space for their marriage. Mm-hmm. And it really is that time and investment and in, in keeping those conversations going that are going to allow that connection to take place. Create space for your marriage. I love that. So we just have a few more minutes and I want to really thank you again for coming on to the show. I feel like I could just sit here and listen to your wisdom and experience for such a much longer period of time. Can't do that. So I just have to finish with the question I love to ask all of my guests and we'll do it individually. So I'm going to ask Jean first. The question I love to ask all of my guests is what do you wish, Jean, everyone knew about love? When I was younger, I would ask people, what is love? And I used to describe it as putting a rope around your ankles and holding the other end of the rope and giving it to someone on a horse and they Mm. get to drag you around. (laughs) And I've (laughs) since realized that's actually trust, right? That's trust. Mm. And love is simply a connection we have to another person. And this happens in an energetic way. And I think about it sort of like a garden hose. 
And is what's flowing in that garden hose, is it stagnant, nasty, poisonous water? Or Mm -hmm. is it vibrant like an umbilical cord and feeding you? And the most important thing I ever learned in my life is when I would have a connection to a person that wasn't treating me well and that relationship would end, that severing of that cord is very painful. Mm -hmm. And what really needs to happen is to take the other end of that cord and plug it back into yourself. And if you are not a whole and healthy person, you certainly can't contribute to that within a relationship. Mm -hmm. And so that I think is the most important thing. And that's the goal. When we're working with a couple, our goal is not their marriage. Our goal is that they become whole and healthy people. And from that place, a relationship takes care of itself. Hmm. Wonderful. And what do you think, right? Anything to add? What do you wish everyone knew about love? You know, it's very interesting because I I was running a men's group last night and that was actually the topic, you know, Mm. of, of the group was what is love to you? And, you know, for a lot of men, there was a contradiction. You know, we were taught that love is about sex, right? Mm. And at the same time, you're told that you can't love your kids, you know, any less. And, and so there's this dichotomy that goes on, you know, I think specifically within men. But, you know, what I believe love is, is love is when we are truly living. You know, that feeling that we have for mm-hmm. another human being is the point of living. You know, it's not about, <clears throat> you know, wealth or power or abundance. Although, you know, when you feel that feeling of love, that is true abundance, you know, that mm-hmm. connection and what I said earlier about having a love for a committed partner is the the strongest, you know, connection physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually that we can have with another human being. You know, but that feeling of love is being in like Kairos. You know, the Greeks have two words for time. It's Kronos, which is the clock time that we know, and then Kairos, which is literally means time away with God where Mm. time just seems to melt away and we are just in this state of a moment. And that I believe is, is what love is when we feel Mm. that with another human being. Beautiful. Love is when we are truly living. And I also finish by having you guys tell our listeners where to find you. But so on Twitter, you're Dr. Ray and Jean, but Facebook, Instagram, you're at Couple Synergy and your website is couplesynergy.com. So tell our listeners real quick what Couples to Synergy is and what they can expect from it. So Couple Synergy is this concept that when two things come together, something greater gets born from that. So that's what synergy means, right? Is that alone, we can only be so much, but together we can be greater. And that is, that is our goal. And the, the learning, we look at relationships from a very developmental place, not a pathological place. So we want people to Mm. dive into understanding and growing And, you know, we look at relationships sort of like a bank account. And when you have fun together and spend time together and do new things together, you're putting deposits in. And the times that you're spending disagreeing with each other or too much time apart or not speaking your truth, those are withdrawals. So we're always looking at 
what's the balance? And mm. that's what we help people do. I love your perspective. It is so important to look at relationships for healing, for growth, for development, and not always have that clinical hat that wants to diagnose and find pathologies. So it sounds like a really wonderful approach. And I encourage all our listeners to check that out, couplesynergy.com. So thank you again, Ray and Jean, for coming on to the show. And thank you, listeners, for listening to the show. We hope you remember that it's not about who's right and who's wrong, but somewhere in the middle is healthy. It's important to make those repair attempts. And believe it or not, the goal of every relationship is not to be happy. The goal is to learn and to grow together. And love is when we are truly living if you want to learn more about me, you can head to zachbeat.com and learn more about the show at theheartcenter.com. Thanks again, Dr. Kedkodians. Thank, <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much, Zach. <laughs> That's really fun. Thanks again for listening to the Learn to Love podcast. To learn more about the show and your host, head over to zachbeach.com or theheartcenter.com. You can also follow Zach on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 